Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Little Caesar from 1931. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was January 9th, 1931. The running time 79 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guy gives it three and a half out of four stars. He writes, a small-time hood becomes an underworld big shot. Edward G. Robinson as Caesar Enrico Bandello gives a star-making performance in this classic gangster film, which is still exciting today. Now, Little Caesar was significant because it ushered in the modern era of gangster films at the time. The film was also a pre-code film, which meant after 1934, films had to be brought up before a commission to determine if the film was suitable for public consumption. Anything with violence, organized crime, profanity, drugs, and or prostitution were highly scrutinized and could not be released without major editing. Many of these pre-code movies were not seen for years after 1934 when the code was passed. However, these films are incredibly tame for today's standards, as you can imagine. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So, in the silent era of film, a few gangster films were made, or at least the topic of street crime was touched upon. But, it was in 1919 when Prohibition began and alcohol became illegal. That's when the rise of the modern gangster really flourished. And these gangsters turned into almost folk heroes for some, as they were providing a service and sticking it to the overreaching government. Gangsters like Al Capone were celebrities of the era. Now, keep in mind, Little Caesar was made in 1930. It was released in early 1931. And the United States was in a deep depression, which started after the historic stock market crash of 1929. People were desperate and couldn't find work. So the notion of doing anything it took to not only squeak out a living, but become rich and powerful was intriguing to many. And in some ways, that's the foundation of the story for Little Caesar. And as a filmgoer who may have been working a lowly job or even out of work, the anti-hero of Rico might be appealing to many watching the film. Even though Rico is brutal, you still sort of root for him in a sadistic sort of way, just like Bonnie and Clyde or John Dillinger. They were anti-establishment, the same establishment that caused the depression in the minds of many Americans. Now, Warner Brothers was the perfect studio to produce these hard-nosed gangster films, as the other big players like MGM, Paramount, and Columbia were more into the romantic side of film. Warner Brothers were more like the Mavericks and produced harder-edged films which featured main characters that were a lot like the average working American that might be down on their luck or pushed back against society, and the filmgoers just ate it up. Eventually, that style that Warner Brothers perfected would morph into the terrific gritty film noir genre of the 1940s. Little Caesar is based on the novel of the same title written by W.R. Burnett, who lived in Chicago and knew a lot about the local gangster scene at the time. Again, the biggest mobster in Chicago during this time period was Al Capone. He was also the most public and out in the open of any gangster in history. He loved the limelight and believed he was untouchable. And in many ways, for a brief time, he really was. Jack Warner couldn't admit it at the time of the release, but Warner bought the rights to the book mainly because... The story pretty much was based on Al Capone. Years later, after Capone was eventually put into prison, Warner admitted this was his intention on why Little Caesar was an intriguing movie to make for him. Originally, Jack Warner claimed director Mervyn Leroy had no interest in casting Edward G. Robinson in the lead role of Rico, but wanted a then-unknown actor named Clark Gable to play the part of Rico. Jack Warner scoffed at this and said there was no way Gable could play the part because his ears were too big. <laughs> Now, when you think about it now, that's absolutely hilarious since Gable would go on to be one of the biggest movie stars and heartthrobs in film history. Merville Leroy disputed Jack Warner's claim about wanting Gable as the lead and said he wanted Gable as the best friend of Rico, Joe, who was then played by Douglas Fairbanks Jr. However, in the same story, Jack Warner again didn't want the big-eared Gable anywhere in Little Caesar. Of course, that was Warner Brothers' loss and MGM's gain as Gable went to MGM. For director Mervyn Leroy, this was still early on in his film directing career, as he started as a vaudeville performer before getting into silent films. Little Caesar would be his first big hit, and he would continue to direct gangster films for Warner Brothers in the 1930s, before covering other genres in his career, which would last into the 1960s. 
Now, Edward G. Robinson had played a prominent gangster part in the 1930 film The Widow from Chicago, which was from Warner Brothers. And if you really look at Robinson's facial features, they're kind of similar to Al Capone's, amazingly. And of course, Robinson's vocal delivery was unlike any actor at the time, and frankly, any actor in history. And he carries Little Caesar pretty much by himself. Of course, Robinson never really gets his just due about a wonderful actor and cultured man he was. He was nothing like the gangster roles that made him famous. He was educated, very well-spoken, and a very good painter and respected art collector. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. never quite lived up to the fame and adoration of his superstar father, who was one of the most famous actors of the silent era. But Jr. did appear in a number of silent films prior to Little Caesar and did continue to act throughout the 1930s and 40s. And if you didn't know, he was married to Joan Crawford from 1929 to 1933. He was also in the military during World War II and received a Silver Star for Valor in 1942. One of the brilliant things that director Mervyn Leroy did in Little Caesar was to have the Rico character be a cigar smoker. In the original novel, Rico did not smoke. But if you watch the film, the cigars that are constantly being smoked or chewed on by Rico is like another character and became such an integral and parodied trademark look of the classic gangster. And another thing to remember is that sound pictures at this point were coming into fashion and were becoming the standard over silent films. And two genres benefited the most from sound. Musicals, for obvious reasons, and gangster films. You can now hear the gunfire of the gangsters, which adds tons of tension and thrills that you see on screen, along with the amazing jargon and slang of the gangster characters, which can only be appreciated if you hear their voices. Okay, let's get into the film. So after the opening credits, which is shot of the original novel's cover, the following message is displayed. For all that they take, the sword shall perish with the sword. Matthew 26:52. The film opens with a car pulling into a service station at night. We only see the outside of the station, and then we see the lights go out and hear gunshots. This is a scene that couldn't have worked in the silent era because you only understand what happened to the station clerk after the gunshot is heard. We then cut to a diner where Rico, that's Edward G. Robinson, and his buddy Joe, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., are sitting. Rico has turned back the clock in the diner when the diner worker wasn't looking, likely to have an alibi for the gas station holdup. How's that? Gotta hand it to you, Rico. The old bean's working all the time. What would it be, gents? Spaghetti and coffee for two. All right, sir. Underworld pays respects to Diamond Pete Montana. Uh, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Ah, plenty. Diamond Pete Montana. He don't have to waste his time on cheap gas stations. He's somebody. He's in the big town doing things in a big way. Yeah, look at us. Just a couple of nobodies. Nothing. Is that what you want, Rico? A party like that for you? Caesar Enrico Bandello. Honored by his friends. Well, I could do all the things that fella does and more. Only I never got my chance. Why what's there to be afraid of? And when I get in a tight spot, I shoot my way out of it. Why, sure. Shoot first and argue afterwards. You know, this game ain't for guys that's soft. Yeah. There's money in the big town, all right. And the women. Good times, something doing all the time. Exciting things, you know. Gee, the clothes I could wear. And then I'd quit, Rico. I'd go back to dancing like I used to before I met you. I don't know, I ain't made for this sort of thing. Dancing. That's what I want to do. Dancing. Women. Now, where do they get you? I don't want no dancing. I'm figuring on making other people dance. Oh, I ain't forgetting all about the money. Yeah, money's all right, but it ain't everything. Now, be somebody. Look hard at a bunch of guys and know that they'll do anything you tell them. Have your own way or nothing. Be somebody. You'll get there, Rico. Yeah. You'll show them. Joe? 
This was our last stand on this berg. We're pulling out. Where are we going? East. Where things break big. Yeah, see, east. <laughs> the city Rico goes to is never actually named, but we can assume it's Chicago. Next, we cut to the nightclub called Club Palermo, where Rico decides to introduce himself to a crime boss named Sam Vittori, played by Stanley Fields, and his gang. And so I beat it east, like I told you. That's all there's to it. I want to roll with your mom if you let me. What do you say? You won't be sorry for letting me in, Mr. Vittori. I'll shoot square with you. I'll do anything you say. I ain't afraid of nothing. Oh, you think you're a hard guy, huh? Well, there's nothing soft about me, nothing yellow. I don't quit. You got an idea you're good, huh? I'll give me a chance to show you. What do you know about me? Oh, I heard plenty. How you run things, the center town. About this here Club Palermo, how it's your front. I got told enough. I guess you're good with a rod, too, huh? Yeah, quick with it. That's what I am, and sure. Well, I don't go around here. That's old stuff. This ain't the sticks. Yeah, I get you. All right. You stick around. But remember, I'm the boss. And I give all the orders. And when we split, we split my way. And no squawks, you get me? Yeah, sure, Mr. Vittori. All right, come on in and meet the boy. Sure. Oh, they're 100% all right. Every one of them. There's Tony Pasta. Can drive a car better than any mug in the town. Otero. He's little, but he's the goods all right. Bat Carrillo. Killer Peppy. Kid Bean. And this one here. Scabby. What a smart guy he is. Boys. Come on, Tony, wake up. I want you to meet a new guy what's going to be with us. This is, uh, uh... Caesar Enrico Bandello. Oh, little Caesar, huh? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, Caesar. I know, I need to stop. <laughs> it's, it's so infectious. But you gotta, look, the tone and rapid-fire dialogue from Robinson is second to none, and the fact that his way of talking was often imitated and parried was the highest form of flattery, and I love listening to it. Rico's buddy Joe is in love with a fellow stage dancer named Olga, played by Glenda Farrell. And she's an underrated actress in her own B-film series of Torchy Blame, where she played a reporter. Anyway, Olga and Joe want to be married sooner than later. However, Olga isn't thrilled that Joe is now carrying a gun and involved with the rackets. Rico accompanies his new boss, Vittori, to the gambling house of Little Arnie Lorch, played by Maurice Black. The reason is that the higher-up boss in the gangster food chain will be there named Diamond Pete Montana, played by Ralph Insee. Cut that. Hello, Arnie. Surprised to see me in your swell joint? Maybe I won't be, after you tell me what you want here. Oh, I'll tell you all right. Diamond Pete asked me to come up. He's coming up, too. Pete Montana? That's who. Well, if Pete wants you here, it's got to be all right with me. Hello, Mr. Montana. Hello. Hello. Hello, Arnie. Hello, Pete. How are you? Hello, Vittori. Hello, boys. Cigar? Thanks. Thanks, Arnie. Sit down, boys. I got something to tell you. A message from a big boy. Now listen. Here's the lowdown. The big boy says. Just a minute, boss. Hey, you. Nobody asked you to be buttoning here, did they? Screw, mug. You ain't giving me orders. You're a fresh guy, huh? Take it easy, Rico. Now you go out there and wait for me. Check with me, boss. Now listen, boys. Watch this guy, McClure, what's head of the new crime commission. 
He's putting the screws on and make no mistake about it. Now, the big boy wants me to tell you guys to put the chains on your gorillas for the next few months. Because if any of them go too far, it'll be just too bad. Oh. I never seen nobody the big boy couldn't get to. He can fix anything. That's why he's the big boy. This board McClure will be pie for him. He'll twist him around his little finger. Don't kid yourself. Nobody's squaring nothing with McClure. Not even the big boy. Small jobs are stiff. We could spring guys for them. But shooting? No, sir. It's guys like this torpedo of you on that cause all the trouble. Oh, Rico? <laughs> he's all right. He's a little quick on the trigger, but that's because he's new. Yeah? Well, it's us that'll swing for him. If he shoots at the wrong time. Now, remember what I told you. Come on. Song. You. You take it easy with that cannon of yours. Did you hear me? Yes, Mr. Montana. Good night, fellas. Good night. Good night. Do yourself a favor, will you, Rico? Leave your gat home on the piano the next job you pull. Yeah. Park it next to your milk bottle. Uh, run your own mob, Arnie. I'll take care of mine. Yeah, I'll park it. I don't need no cannon to take care of guys like you, Mr. Lord. What the head of the mob is worried about is unnecessary violence, which would lead to a crackdown from the police and endanger their business. If there ends up being turf wars, everyone loses, ultimately. However, as you might have gathered, Rico is a loose cannon, and he's trying to rise up the ranks in the mob, but Vittori continues to hold him back. Joe isn't really cut out to be a mobster, especially when he learns that he's going to be forced to be part of a job where the club he dances at, owned by little Arnie Larch, is going to be hit by Vittori's gang on New Year's Eve. Joe pleads to Rico to get him out of it, but Rico won't budge. Rico has planned how to hit the nightclub, and even though Vittori tries to act like he's the one who came up with the plan, that's not really the case. The gang is starting to lose confidence in Vittori, and Rico's looking like an up-and-coming leader. You can kind of see where this is headed. The club robbery does not go off without a hitch, as all the money is taken, but Rico, in his typical shoot-first-ask-later attitude, that gets the best of him, and he shoots and kills the crime commissioner, Alvin McClure. This is the last person the big boss wanted killed because now the police have no choice but to go after the racketeers. Joe tells Olga what happened at the club, but doesn't say that Rico is the one who killed the crime commissioner. Olga pleads with Joe to leave the gang, but Joe is resigned to the fact that he's stuck and if he tries to get out now, he's going to be killed. Back at Vittori's club, Vittori is incensed about Rico killing McClure, but is defiant as ever saying that Vittori is slipping, and if he doesn't like it, he'll stop doing the jobs for the gang. Then a few detectives pay a visit to Vittori. Happy New Year, boys. Say, there's a lonesome touring car down the street. I was wondering if you happen to know anything about it. How should I know anything about it? Ain't it got license plates on it? Yes, but they're phony. It was stolen on the north side tonight. Oh, I got a good cafe business. I don't know nothing about automobiles, what's been stolen. Well, you might if some of the bright young men around here had anything to do with it, wouldn't you? Wasn't there anybody in it? Yes, one guy. But not when we got there, he beat it. But we got a good description of him, though. I'm telling you, I don't know nothing about it. Well, come on, fellas. As long as Vitora doesn't know anything about it. Oh, say, have you heard the news, Vitora? No, what? Someone knocked off Alvin McClure over at the Bronze Peacock. McClure? No, that's terrible. Some guys are sure careless with the lead, all right. What a tough break for Arnie. It's going to be a tough break for a lot of birds. Well, so long. Oh, I forgot to wish you fellas a Merry Christmas.
Tony. I can't figure him. The kid's a great driver. Oh, he must have lost his nerve. I'll take care of him. Now, let's see the color of that money. Yeah, just a minute, Sam. I got my own ideas of a split this time. And you can take it my way or leave it. We ain't begging you. Yeah? Well, I lost this job. And I'm going to get my split in a regular way or else. How'd you boss this job? By sitting here in your office, cheating yourself a solitaire? Well, that don't go no more. Not with me, I don't. We're done. I've been taking orders from you too long. Yeah, and you'll keep on taking orders, too. Or you'll get out of here so fast. Yeah, well, maybe it won't be me that gets out. No? Yeah. Well, maybe the boys have got something to say about that. What about it? Oh, that's it, huh? Yeah. That's it, all right. Sam, you can dish it out, but you're getting so you can't take it no more. You're through. Well? Well, the split's okay with me, Rico. How about you, boys? No hard feelings, eh, Sam? We gotta stick together. There's a rope around my neck right now, and they only hang you once. If anybody turns yellow and squeals, my gun's gonna speak its peace. Yep, Rico is the new boss now. Welcome to the world of Little Caesar. His first order of business is to find Tony, played by William Collier Jr., who was the driver of the abandoned getaway car and is now hiding and scared beyond belief. One of the gangs sees Tony on the street and tries to get him to go see Rico to get his cut of the nightclub job. However, Tony refuses and wants out, and heads to the church to talk to a priest. Rico gets word of Tony's plans, and then he drives by the church, and he shoots Tony dead on the steps of the church. Remember this scene, by the way, because the symbolism will come into play later. Better, Antonio. Why you don't sleep? You sick, maybe? Huh? Yeah. Oh, what? No, that? no. Can't a guy get up when he wants to without answering a lot of foolish questions? You stay out late nights. You drink a lot of wine. Leave me alone. Oh, listen, Antonio. I. I have some spaghetti for you on this stove. If you feel better, eat it some. Yes? It do you good. You used to be a good boy, Antonio. Remember when you sing in the church, in the choir with Father McNeil, you in white. Remember? Father McNeil. The church was beautiful. You little boy with long hair, the tall, big, Remember, Antonio? Don't leave me, Marty, here. You don't have to go now, do you? Can't you stay a little while with me? Please don't go away. Please. Oh, God, Romeo, I stay. I don't go home. I stay. Don't tell me I'm so wrong. Oh, my boy. Oh, my boy. I'll be all right, Mom. You better run along, do you hear? You run along. Take good care of yourself, will you, uh, huh? And take you my love to Miss Manchia, will you, huh?
Father McNeil. I want you to come and get your split. What's the matter, Tony? Don't you want to split? Are you crazy? I'm not crazy. I don't want no split. Listen, Tony. Rico knows you'll lose your nerve. Now, he wants you to be a man. You better not turn yellow. Get away from me, Otera. Leave me alone. Listen, kid, I'm trying to tell you for your own good. Now, you come with me and get your split. Ah. Hey, Tony! Tony, where are you going? I'm going to see Father McNeil. Rico! I found Tony, but it's too late. He's crazy, crazy. I tell him to be a man, but he just shake his head and go to the priest. Well, I guess that's that. We ain't got any time to lose. Come on, Sam, get yourself a car and let's go. Not me. Take... Take Scabby. Ah, Scabby's no good. No, I ain't no good. Uh, can you drive Otero? Sure. All right, let's go. We lose the black roadster. After Tony's funeral procession, which was paid for by Rico, because you gotta keep appearances, Rico holds a celebratory dinner for himself, as now he's the big man in charge. Well, that's the goods, all right. That's the fanciest I've ever seen, Sam. Now, look at those little turtles down here. Friendship and loyalty, huh? Well, how do you like that, Sam? Huh? Pretty good. Rico. You know, Terry was telling me I didn't look good in the derby. What do you think? Well, it's just like you, Rico. Yeah, I thought so, too. I guess I'll stick to him from now on. Compliments to a true pal, Mr. C. Vondella, from a true pal, Mr. Sam Vitor. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I appreciate Sam. That's swell of you. Remember the river? <laughs> that's What's the matter with you, Bird? Don't you know how to act at a banquet? What do you think you are, a lot of gas honky apps? Well, cut that chatter. Gabby's gonna make a speech. Well, folks, you all know what we're here for. So what's the good of me telling you all about it? Rico here is a great guy. Sure, and, uh, well, I must say, Rico, I don't know how to talk fancy, but... This here watch is for you, see? From the boys! Come on, everybody, clap like want me to make a speech? Here goes. I, uh, I want to thank you fellas for this here banquet. It sure is swell. The, uh, the liquor is good, so they tell me. <laughs> but I, I don't drink it myself. And the food don't leave nothing to be desired. Well, I guess we're all having a swell time. And it sure is good to see all you gents with your mouths here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess that's about all. <laughs> yeah, and only I wish you birds wouldn't get drunk and raise a lot of cane, because that's the way a lot of birds get bumped off. <laughs> yeah, come on, lay off that stuff. I know what I'm... 
couple of newspaper guys out there want to take a picture. What do you say, boss? Well, what do you think of that, huh? <laughs> sure, send them in, only tell them to make it snappy. I'll see you later, Rico. Oh, don't go away, Pete. Well, yeah, we're going to have our pictures taken. I haven't had my picture taken in the last 15 years. Think of that. Fifteen years he had it. Come on, boys, make it snappy. We ain't got all evening. And now Rico's ego is as big as can be, and even takes a publicity photo. So much for staying in the underground. Hence, that's why gangsters like Diamond Pete never get bumped off and hang around for years. By the way, the gang is throwing food at each other prior to the speeches, which was pretty hilarious. Now, you might be wondering about Rico's old pal Joe, and where is he during Rico's rise? Joe has been keeping out of the mob, and Rico has been too full of himself to wonder and, or frankly care about what Joe is doing. However, Joe is still loyal to Rico, and he overhears a potential hit that could be placed on Rico by little Arnie Lurch and his gang. That's a club owner where Joe and Olga dance. Joe calls Rico's gang to warn him. However, Rico is walking around town basking in his new fame after his picture is published in the newspaper. While walking around with a bundle of papers downtown, a truck passes by and shoots at Rico, wounding his arm. But Rico uses the assassination attempt as an excuse to go further with his brand of violence. However, it also put Rico even more on the radar of the lieutenant of police, Thomas Flaherty, played by Thomas E. Jackson. He now wants to take down Rico more than anything. Rico and his gang then pay a visit to Lorch. I don't know what this is all about, but it's a private row. You guys better beat it. Ain't nobody gonna leave this room. You guys are invited to this private party. Suppose we don't want to stay. And I wouldn't stop you for the world. Only these boys of mine have itching fingers. Sit down, gents. Arnie, you ought to have better sense than to hire a couple of outside yaps. Especially bad shots. Come on, what is it? Let's have it! Arnie, you're through. You hire these mugs, they miss. Now you're through. If you ain't out of town by tomorrow morning, you won't never leave it except in a pine box. I'm taking over this territory. From now on, it's mine. You're growing, Rico. So this is what you've been after all the time, eh? I seen it in your eyes the first time I met you. You're no good, Rico. But if you think you can muscle in on me like you did on Sam Vittori, you're off your nut. I suppose you forgot all about Pete Montana, huh? How's Sam and Pete going to stop me? He may be your boss, but he ain't mine. Uh, Sam didn't feel that way about him. Sam knew who gave orders. Yeah, Sam was too soft. Diamond Pete could scare him, but I ain't no Sam. Sam is through. Now you're through, too. I stick when you got there, Arnie. Nothing phony about my jewelry. Arnie, you better quit this racket. You can dish it out, but you got so that you can't take it no more. And you better take your hats and beat it. The first thing you know, you'll be arrested for finding a rod in the city limits. Well, I guess that's about all. Oh, uh, pleasant trip, gents. Come on, boys. Thanks, boys, for the artillery. Lorch takes Rico's advice and takes a summer vacation to Detroit, as reported in the papers. Rico's ego is now even bigger than before. Rico meets with the big boss, Big Boy, played by Sidney Blackmer, who gives the entire city of Chicago to Rico. Diamond Pete Montana is out, and Rico is in. Of course, now Rico thinks he'll eventually take over for Big Boy. Rico then gets a visit from his old pal, Joe. There's a guy by the name of Massaro out there. 
He wants to see you, sir. I'll see him in a minute. Yes, sir. What's Joe one around here? He hasn't been near any of us for months. I sent for him. I heard that somebody in Detroit got to flyer to him and told him to start working on a dancer at the Bronze Peacock. He wanted to find out who shot McClure. Gee, boss, you're wise to everything before it happens. Yeah, I don't miss much. I'll soon find out if Flaherty's been working on Joe after I've had a little talk with him. Gee, Rico, what a pal. Oh, hello, Joe. Yeah, it'll do. Well, what do you expect? And I got 20 grand tied up in it? Hello, Thera. How are you, baby? First rate. Sit down, Joe. You sure I'm good enough to sit in such a swell chair? Oh, come on now. Cut the comedy. Sit down. Screw Otero. I want to talk to Joe private. Sure. See you later, Joe. Cigar, Joe? No, thanks. Well, uh, will you have a cocktail or a dash of brandy? No. Well, uh, surprise you to hear from me? Kind of. I thought it'd be kind of nice to have a little talk together. Like old times. Certainly is nice to see you, Rico. Especially like this. You're looking good. Yeah, you're looking good, too, Joe. Living easy, kind of, huh? Not that easy. Dancing's no cinch. Now, but you ain't complaining. No. No, I ain't complaining. That's good. Yeah. Dancing's all right for a sideline. It gives you a swell front. But it ain't my idea of a man's game. What's the difference, Rico? As long as I ain't kicking, why should you kick? Who's kicking? Honey, why should a young guy like you be wasting his time? And I kind of took pride in you, Joe. Brought you into the gang, pushed your head. But now you're getting to be a sissy. We've got to go into that again. Can't you just forget about me? No, I don't want to forget, Joe. You're my pal. We started off together, didn't we? Well, we got to keep going along together. Who else have I got to give a hang about? I need you, Joe. I got the biggest chance of my life. The big boy just had to be the whole north side. But it's too much for one man to handle alone. I need somebody, somebody to work in with me, a guy like you, somebody I can trust. Can't be me, Rico. I've quit. You didn't quit. Nobody ever quit me. You're still in my gang. Do you get that? I don't care how many fancy skirts you got hanging on to you. That Jane of yours can go hang. It's her that's made a softy out of you. You lay off, Olga Rico. I lay off her. I'm after her. One of us has got to lose and ain't going to be me. There's ways of stopping that, Dame. You're crazy. Leave her out of this. Yeah, she's through. She's out of the way. That's what she is. You're lying. You wouldn't dare. I wouldn't, would I? I'll show you. Rico, listen. I love her. We're in love with one another. Don't that mean nothing to you? Nothing. Less than nothing. Love. Soft stuff. When she's got you, you ain't no good for anything. We ain't out of this yet. Now, we don't want no softies... Spilling things. I ain't gonna spill anything if that's what you're scared of. You think I want my neck stretched? Well, you know too much. I ain't gonna take any chances. You're hanging around with me, see? No, I'm not. All right. You go back to that dame, and it's suicide. Suicide for both of you. Just stick here. Hello? 
Oh, hello, big boy. No. No, no, no. I don't want that guy. I don't trust him. Yeah, yeah. I got a kid by the name of Joe Massaro would help me. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, big boy. Now, what's fascinating about the Rico character is that most gangsters are all about money and power and women. Now, for whatever reason, dames don't do much for Rico, and you never actually see a woman around him, which makes this film and his character definitely unique and less cliche, in a sense. Now, I think if the film was made today, the filmmakers would likely play up this angle and maybe make Rico have romantic feelings for Joe, but the subtlety of how Little Caesar is made is much better, I think, and leaves the interpretation up to the viewer, instead of spelling it out like today's films do so frequently. All right, there's about 15 minutes left, so will Joe leave Olga in order to save her from the wrath of Rico, and will Rico just get simply too big for his own good? Well, it's all answered in the last action-packed minutes, and frankly, the ending is very iconic and often quoted for film buffs. Now, Little Caesar was incredibly groundbreaking for its time because it dealt with the underworld and gave filmgoers a chance to watch a movie where the main character is really the anti-hero. Plus, the ruthlessness of Rico was very fresh for its time. You can see the influence of Little Caesar all over future gangster films. This is a must-watch if you're a fan of mob movies and want to see where it all began. Plus, Edward G. Robinson is just fun to watch. He commanded your attention, and he did that very effectively. Okay, some fun facts. So after the film Code came into play in 1933, the re-release of the pre-Code gangster films to theaters included the following foreword. Perhaps the toughest of the gangster films, Public Enemy and Little Caesar had a great effect on public opinion. They brought home violently the evils associated with prohibition and suggested the necessity of a nationwide house cleaning. Tom Powers and Public Enemy and Rico and Little Caesar are not two men, nor are they merely characters. They are a problem that sooner or later we, the public, must solve. Now the famous last line, which was supposed to be Mother of God and changed to Mother of Mercy, was actually due to the potential blowback from religious groups who might have claimed blasphemy. And times were much different back then. The film was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, but lost to Cimarron. Now, Little Caesar was a huge success at the box office and effectively started the gangster film craze, which lasted a good portion of the 1930s, later morphed into film noir. And these films were a huge influence on Martin Scorsese and countless other modern directors. Now, in one scene, Everett G. Robinson had to fire a pistol while facing the camera, but he was unable to keep his eyes open each time he pulled the trigger. The problem was eventually solved by having Robinson's eyes held open with cellophane tape. Speculation had it that the federal anti-organized crime law, the Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization Act, or RICO, got its acronym from Everett G. Robinson's character name. Now, the character of Diamond Pete Montana was modeled on Jim Colissimo, who was murdered by Al Capone. And then Big Boy was based on the corrupt politician William Hale Thompson, who was the mayor of Chicago. The Underworld Banquet sequence was also based on real events, a notorious party in honor of two gangsters, Charles Dion O'Banion and Samuel J. Nails Morton, which received unfavorable coverage in the Chicago press. Now, the character of Joe Massara was based on actor George Raft, who was associated with Oni Madden, the man who organized the taxi racket in New York City. All right, we have a special guest. It's Metal Mike Tyler, who not only has a fondness for Ever G. Robinson, but he also has some adoration for, of course, gangster films and classic gangster films. So we get his take on Little Caesar. And, of course, you can hear Metal Mike Tyler every Friday night on the Metal Mike Show on ThatMetalStation.com at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also hear him on the Plug Podcast with his co-host, Bushy. So let's talk about Little Caesar with him. Then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with longtime guest Metal Mike Tyler from ThatMetalStation.com. He's also on the plug with Big Bushy Nate Atchison. Welcome back, Metal Mike. Thank you for having me, my friend. How the hell have you been? Well, I'm good, see? So I know <laughs> we're, we're, of course, going to talk about Edward G. Robinson and his uh, is kind of his – it was the film – that really, he, he busted loose on Little Caesar. Now, I know you're a fan of Edward G. Robinson, but yes, had sir. you seen this film prior to me asking you to, to I discuss I have, this? but okay. it's been 
quite some time ago. Um, my dad and mom, they liked old movies and they, you know, consequently, my dad would always be like, hey, check this out. And, and, and honestly, my first discovery of Edward G. Robinson was the old Looney Tune cartoons. Right. It was Mel Blanc. You know, nah, see, nah, Rocky's a little too smart for it. Nah, nah, just a little too smart. <laughs> Love that shit, right? Yeah. So, um, but I was like, I, I quickly realized, oh, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, you had Warner Brothers literally having the, their stars that were under contract in their cartoons. Right. Um, brilliant, by the way. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, one day my dad's like, hey, you know, it was on cable. Come on down, son. I, I, want, I want you to check something out. And he and he knew I was interested in Edward G. Robinson. And I had seen some of his other movies. Like I had seen uh, The Cincinnati Kid. Yep. I had seen uh, um, Soylent Green. The Stranger. Yeah, so I had already kind of become a fan, you know. But I had never seen Little Caesar, which is kind of what started it all, you know. That's and, right. And, uh. I loved it. I loved it, man. You know, spoilers. I uh, thought it was great, man. And, uh, you know, I just want to tell you something, Brian. <laughs> You've gone soft, see? Yeah, soft, man. <laughs> well, you definitely it up, but you can't take it, so I'm taking over the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is why I had you on, because I knew you could do fine if you got rid of me or you X'd me out. So uh, <laughs> so before we get into the film, what would, you, what would you think, what do you think is your favorite Edward G. Robinson film, or at least films? We'll we'll do plural. Oh, well, this would definitely be on the list. Okay. Uh, I the one uh, the one I really really liked. And, well, of course, Double Indemnity. I thought he was great in that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just a fantastic movie. Anyway, everybody was great in that. Um, yep. Uh, I loved him in The Stranger. You know, thought he was great in that. And I really really liked him, of course, in in Soylent Green, Cincinnati Kid. Um, I like him in Key Largo. Yes. Uh, opposite Humphrey Bogart. That's a great one. And um, there's the one he did with Joan Bennett that I like a lot. And I can't. Is it the lady in the portrait? Is that what it's called? It's close. There, I think it's is, there's one that's called Woman in the Window. Maybe and, that's it. Maybe yeah, that's but it is it. a painting. It is a painting, though, that, that you're thinking. I mean, he was a painter in real life, which is kind of crazy. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, he was. He really wanted to get out of his gangster persona, and so he was kind of a renaissance man in many ways. You, you were right, Brian. Nineteen forty-four, when uh, the woman in the window with the, the beautiful Joan Bennett. Man. Yep. Yeah, so I've always been a big fan of his. You know, I've always thought, you know, oh, the Sea Wolf. He's fantastic Excellent. in that. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he was a great actor. No, no doubt about it. So, as you know, Little Caesar. It was a pre-movie code film so it was before that the uh code came in oh yeah <laughs> and this meant the subject matter could be a little bit more racy than eventually what occurred with gangster films a few years later so but even with pre-code films i mean look they're they're still tame compared to now was there anything watching it little caesar now that surprised you about the subject matter or situations you know watching the film with modern eyes hmm not real. I mean, there's not a lot of blood in it, really. No. So I, I don't think so, because I've seen other pre-code films where they're pretty like the way the women dress and mm -hmm. they talk about prostitution and right. a lot more. You know, there's not really a lot of that in here. I don't think anyway, like to me, this movie wasn't much different than a lot of the gangster films they made after the they, you know, um, put in the code. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, man? Do you well, think I think I think a lot of it, it was there was more probably glorification of the gangster, which I think is why. possibly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like he's he really is the hero, even though, you know, you know, the eventual outcome, which we won't give away. But, um, yeah, I think that was part of the reason why I think the, even the FBI and Jager Hoover got in because they didn't want to portray villains and, you know, your Bonnie and Clyde's and your Dillinger. You got a valid hero. point. I never yeah. really thought about that way because you're right. I mean, and, and, and it's weird because he's pretty ruthless, man. He is. I mean, like, and it's just weird how, and that's, and, and that was realistic too. Like they kill the one guy who, you know, he's feeling guilt and he's about to go to the priest and they, right. and they smoke him and well, Caesar smokes him, you know, uh, Yep. Um, Rico smokes him and then buys him this huge wreath and <laughs> pays him all these respects, which is something that they really did in Chicago at that point in time, man. That That's they right. were really big in that. It was very much, um, 
yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I smoked this guy, but I'm going to show, I'm going to give him this huge send off to show what kind of a good guy I am. No one right. damn well that you were the guy who smoked him. That's right. Uh, There's an etiquette. Yeah, I guess so. You know, and, uh, and it was kind of cool how he was always just a few steps ahead of everybody, man. I mean, let's be, I don't want to give anything away, but if Rico sure. goes through with what he was planning on doing, I don't think he ends up in the situation that he does by the end of the film. I agree. I absolutely uh, agree. But it showed that his buddy, played by, of course, um, uh, oh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Right. He, he, I, I think if there was anybody he really truly cared about, it was him. Like he really genuinely cared about him. He did. You know, um, so it showed that even this gangster did have somewhat of a heart. Like he, he, at the end of the day, he couldn't do what he, what he probably should have done and what he needed to do. Right. And which again becomes kind of his undoing. But. That's right. So you kind of touched upon it in the beginning. Cause how, how can you not, but Edward G. Robinson's voice and mannerisms, mannerisms were often parodied even today by people who don't even know who he is, but they, right. you know, they, they think of early gangster films from this era, like how they would have sounded. I, I think right. this film in particular really is the impetus behind that persona. What do you think? Oh, well, I think it's the same way when people do pirates. Like, I can't remember yes. the man who played Long John Silver in the Walt Disney live action version, but that matey, mm -hmm. he started that. He right. started that. Before that, nobody talked like that. That whole, arr, that's, <laughs> that's him. And right. I think with Edward G. Robinson, it was the same thing with Little Caesar, you know? And also, some of the dialogue. I mean, the dialogue in this is great, man. It I mean, is. Bill, he had never seen it, but he saw, like, a few scenes as I was watching it. He was getting a kick out of it. He's like, I'm going to have to watch this. I said, well, I got it on Amazon now, bro. You yeah. can watch it whenever you want. So, uh, um, but yeah, uh, like I said, I love Little Caesar. Love this movie. Edward G. Robinson could do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I mean, it made him an icon and rightfully so because like he'd put such a, the only other actor I can think of, well, there's a couple of them besides Edward G that kind of mm -hmm. put their stamp on the gangster sub, uh, the, the, the gangster genre at that period in time or around that. Yep. Period. Um, James Cagney, of course. Absolutely. George Raft would yep. be another one. And, and Bogey, you know. Yep. I mean, because people seem to forget sometimes that Bogey played a lot of gangsters. I mean, he played Mad Dog Earl in High Sierra, the gangster with a heart, you know. And, of course, the Petrite Fight Forest, which was really his big break in film. I mean, he had done bit parts and backup roles, but Leslie Howard said, nope, I, I did this with him on Broadway. I'm doing the film with him. And, uh, you know, so there you go. But I would say those four guys. And Paul Muni, too. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The original Scarface. But you're right, and what's been interesting about Bogart, you're totally right. In the early phase of his career, he was taking the heavy roles, the villain roles, and eventually, it was funny, in Q Argo, they reversed, you know, where Edward G. Robinson went back to his roots as being the gangster, and uh, the good guy was Bogey. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, man, what a great movie that is. It too. is. So, for Little Caesar, what did you enjoy most about the film? And what were the things that still hold up well for you today? Hmm. Uh, well, I thought some of the sim photography and the shots were kind of ahead of their time. I was yeah. kind of impressed with uh, with that. The one thing that does make it dated a little bit, no background music or very little. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's so odd to me, you know, because even a lot of your older movies from your 40s had background music and this one doesn't Yep, makes it really stand out, man. And I love some that's of the dialogue, too, not just with Rico, but the other guys, all uh -huh. the different gangsters and the way they talked. And then you had the cop even, you know, and give me that chopper. I mean, I don't know. It was it's just a cool movie, man. But I think that um, it looked like it was filmed on location. Now, I don't know if it was or not, but they did a really good job of bringing the Chicago of that era to life. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I, I, I don't know. Would you know, did they shoot that on location or was that I, all on a set? It's usually on a set because these were not. I, I don't know if this was a big budget film, but it could, if it was, it looked like a pretty damn good set. <laughs> so but yeah, they Warner did a Brothers beautiful job, man. Yeah. yeah, they did a great I, job, man. Absolutely. And you brought up a good point about the silence. And so a lot of these even B movies had great scores, but it kind of harkened back to the early Universal pictures. You know, the original Dracula had no score nope. at all. So it, nope. but it's eerie as hell. Yeah, the only music you hear is the music in the very beginning of the film, and that was the same thing with Little Caesar. You know, they show you based exactly. on the novel and yada yada. But after that, man, the movie is just 
like yeah. real life, you Absolutely. know, so that kind of sets it apart. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see a movie where they don't have a some kind of a soundtrack to the background to it. Agreed. Agreed. And so actually, this is a good follow up question. Did it- is that the one thing that didn't work for you in this film or were there other things? Um, I wouldn't say it didn't work for me. It was just something I noticed. Okay. I mean, once I got into the film, I got into the film. Um, I did chuckle at one thing, the love interest for Douglas Fairbanks juniors. I mean, good little actress, but, uh, her name, I was like, oh, nobody uses that name anymore. That was it totally Olga? dates it. Olga. Olga? I'm like, yeah. it's like when I think of an Olga, I think of like a huge Swedish chick, you know, right, with a unibrow <laughs> or something. Um, and yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny, you know. And that's funny. So Glenda Farrell, who, who played Olga, she actually was in a, a series of her own called Torchy Blaine, where she plays this really cool female reporter. Uh, if you ever get a chance, check those out, too. But actually, she, she actually was a pre- ended up being a pretty well-known actress. So that's, that's kind of cool. Now, I personally love how briskly paced early films were. Uh, how did you feel about the pacing of this film? And I- look, it's only 80 minutes long. I thought it was fine, man. And yeah, Glenda, yeah. I mean, very pretty gal, but I just, I just kind of yeah. would always, every time they say her name, I Olga. would chuckle because it's like <laughs> Olga, like who, yeah. you know, like German God, swimmer. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, I expect to, I love you, Joe, you know, and, uh, but um, I liked how, you know, you got uh, Rico, he comes in and, you know, he, he's kind of like, I'll do whatever I have to do. And then Sam's all like, what's well, my gain? And then, after a while, man, Rico's like, no, no, you're, you're kind of a bitch. I'm taking over, you know? Right. And, that's uh, right. You know, it, yeah, it was just a cool, uh, and that's another thing, man. I think some of his enemies were kind of dumb though. Cause it's like, they, they would go after him, but I'm like, you, how did they miss? Like, how did they miss? They just wean him. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's not going to work. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to come <laughs> after you, which of course he did. But, you know, the one thing I will say about that is if I remember, he just forces them to get out, man. I mean, pretty much thinking about it, it could have been worse. It He yep. could have slaughtered them all. Absolutely. And he did not, you know. So yep. in some ways, Rico wasn't as ruthless as people make him out to be, you know, like when, sure. when you stop thinking about it, because really he could have killed him. He had him dead to rights, Brian. Yeah. He could have yeah. smoked them all. Yeah. And there's a lot of other gangsters that would have. <laughs> Scarface yeah. would have. Oh, well, yeah. B- yeah. Both both uh, the Scarface and the original, the original and Tony and Montoya. Absolutely. You know, he would have been all like, say hello to my little friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, Rico's just like, no, just, it, you know, I'm giving you this amount of time to get out. If you don't, then I'm going to come after you, which they yeah. bail. They, lo- they go to Detroit. So. The reason I brought up the 80 minute runtime is I, I think if they made it today, it would be too long. It probably been no shorter than 150 minutes. And that's fine when you have, you know, let's say the remake of Scarface or even uh, Goodfellas and of, of course the Godfather. But I think some of the times it's just everything's too bloated now. I mean, even the new John Wick movie is almost three hours long. So there is a certain kind of almost charm of this film that it is, you know, every minute counts. Right. Well, and you got to remember back then, man, these movies were not. It was a factory system. So totally. They were putting out a new movie every week. Yeah. Some of them were grade movies. Some of them were great B movies, which is funny because some of the B movies went on to be They're absolute classics. Absolutely. Um, but they were just making movies. And, and, and I sometimes I wish there would be a new studio that would start bring back the factory system. You know? Absolutely. And, and, you know, because I think that. Um, it helped the directors and and the actors and everybody like learn their craft and hone their craft and get better and better. I mean, there's some good things to be said about the studio system, and I wouldn't mind seeing it kind of come back again. Oh, I agree. I mean, and and none of these people ever, and we've talked about it, ever thought there would be a home video or television. So oh, it was like not. a one and done. You either saw it in the theater or you it was forgotten. Same with forever. the old television show. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So to, to kind of wrap up a little bit, where does this rank in your in other classic 30s and 40s gangster films for you? That's a good question, man. I'd have to think about that, man. Um, mm-hmm. It's it ranks up there pretty high. I mean, partially because it was one of the first, really. Sure. It kind of set the tone for it those really type did. of movies, man. And uh, of course, you know, I mean, the Jimmy Cagney ones are great, too. And oh, yeah. And, and Edward G. Robinson did a few other ones. But yeah, he the, the great thing about him is he was able to get even though that movie put him on the map, he was a he was a great enough actor and he was able to to finally, you know, 
But I mean, yeah, there's some great ones. I mean, The Doorway to Hell, Scarface, mm-hmm. um, Public Enemy. Public Enemy is amazing. The yeah. Roaring Twenties. Yeah, Five Star Final uh, yep. again with Edward G. So you know, yep. there was White a heat. lot of, um, yeah, there was a yep. lot of great uh, films from that era and, that you know delved into that subject, man. But uh, so yeah, I I would put it up there right with all them other ones, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, White Heat, man, that's a great one. Damn, it is, a- and it's really the end of an era because I think it came out in '49, and it's it after did. that. Yep, yep. Yep. So, well, Mike, thank you as always for doing this. And uh, I guarantee you're going to be talking about a lot of other gangster films coming up. Yeah, see. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.